welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Phil Donaldson continues our series on the Apostle Paul's letters to the church at Corinth, looking today at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. And now, here's Phil. Before us this morning is an extremely important chapter for our age and for our culture. Our study this morning is from 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 to through 16. I would just ask you to keep that open by your front of you so that we can refer to it as we go through these verses together. Marriage rates have declined while living common law, including common law leading to marriage, as well as union dissolution through separation and divorce, have become increasingly common. From Statistics Canada, it is reported that since 2008, it seems fairly widely accepted that over 40% of Canadian marriages are expected to end in divorce before the couple reach their 50th wedding anniversary. Over one in five Canadians who remarried left their second spouse within an average of seven and a half years. Statistics are similar in the United States where 50% of first-time marriages, 67% of second-time marriages, and 74% of third end in divorce. We don't have statistics for Corinth, but like our culture today, the design of God for marriage was under attack then, as it is very much under attack today. Chapter 7 is about Christian marriage and challenges that the church was having on what God's purposes for marriage are once Christ came into their lives. It is so instructive that when Jesus started his recorded public ministry, he began with a wedding in Cana of Galilee to emphasize him his importance on his design uh, for marriage relationships. We need to remind ourselves of what some of the serious and difficult things that Paul and his students and teachers over the last weeks have addressed at BFA. Let's simply read them together to review the words of the Lord uh, that have been co covered in this general area of the indwelling of God's spirit in our lives and what that should look like for us as Christians and what it should not look like for us as Christians. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? What Wade covered that so well last week. It is actually reported that there is a sexual, that there is sexual immorality among you, you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither the sexually immorality of you, of you, nor idolaters, or adulterers, and so on, uh, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that was what some of you were. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Before we get to our chapter, we need a short summary of the general teachings of God's word regarding marriage, and also what is taught in scripture about marriage separation and divorce. My summary comments to the left are, to be seen as just my summary and my interpretations. Uh, the main point is for you to look at the verses that from which these flow, and you can decide on yourselves uh, what you think they are teaching. The marriage foundations are necessary for us to have a look at, so we're not repeating them as we go through the interpretation of the actual text that's before us. 
It's a good time just to assemble these together uh, for our edification. We all know that marriage was designed by God as a heterosexual relationship, right in the origins of the creation of man from the book of Genesis. Marriage is his stewardship of his calling. First of all, a creation and the responsibilities given to the first couple uh, and for the purpose of bringing uh, their their work before God and bear fruit together, uh, which was to be on, on, on many dimensions of their lives together as partners. Marriage was designed for companionship by a, a helper, a strength complementary, and with different contributions uh, from each side of the partnership uh, as they uh, lived and ser- as they live and serve together. Marriage is a leaving and a cleaving. This bespeaks a family unit, a united family unit and couple, uh, united together in one flesh, also referencing their sexual union together. It was designed by God as a permanent relationship for this life. And importantly as well, it was witnessed by God when your vows were made if you are married uh, this morning. A Christian marriage is to model Christ's love for his church. And that kind of relationship and metaphor uh, is it works its way all through the scriptures about the faithfulness of Christ to his church and his loving and his caring uh, for his people. And the same is expected of us vis-a-vis himself. Marriage is to be honored by all. Interestingly, forbidding marriage is a sign of apostasy in the end times that we are still in. Number eight, marriage bed is to be kept pure. He's speaking a monogamous relationship, a relationship that is reserved for marriage. Adultery was forbidden with the death penalty in the Old Testament, and sexual immorality in old and new are, are both are forbidden. We know well from the original marriage that uh, the, the first marriage ended up carrying within it and from then forward the consequences of sin. And lastly, uh, it is for this life. Jesus spoke about eternal relationships and the marriage relationship is for this life and things are different once we uh, get to heaven. This is not a talk about the world of aberrations from the normal of primary and female sex or gender or, or sexual orientation gender identity and presentation and all that comes with those very real challenges of this life that some people face. That would require someone competent with the time to do it justice as a study of scriptures and uh, as well someone who is competent in the understanding of these aberrations from the norm and and the counseling around them from a Christian perspective would be necessary. It's not our purpose today at all. Having said that, God loves all and desires that all are to come to him for salvation, irrespective of the state that they're in when they when they are sought by God to come to him, uh, to have his forgiveness, to experience his grace and help from wherever they are in life when they receive him. One deviation from God's intent for marriage is in the area of, of separation and divorce. And that comes up in our chapter. So I want to just summarize a few of the scriptures that talk about uh, God's perspective on divorce given to us in various locations. Uh, first, God hates divorce. Again, the, the relationship between God and a married couple is one that he 
wants to be permanent and he doesn't want to see uh, something separated by men and women in their sin or by others in their uh, power over them uh, to violate this principle of permanency. Interestingly as well, God never commands divorce. Sometimes uh, people think that the, the Bible teaches that. Uh, it never, he never com- commands divorce in very difficult situations. Rather, divorce was permitted by God because of the hardness of the hearts of his people in marital relationships that had gone sour. There's one very lengthy passage about that in, in, about, in the books written by Moses and referenced here. And the only condition in that was that, uh, uh, remarriage would be permitted only in the case of marital unfaithfulness. He was asked to uh, clarify this in the New Testament, um, where the Pharisees came to test him and they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus informed them about the original design and his commitment to the design of marriage as he intended it from the beginning. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Fourth thing of note that will be before us this morning that uh, the Apostle Paul ad- added a condition, I think, to the case of mixed marriages and uh, an allowance that he provides for in, in the situations that were being faced in that church, and we'll come to that in, in due course. The fifth point on, on divorce is a principle that flows through a lot of the aspects of our chapter this morning. It reminds us that God's grace and forgiveness is for all those who seek him, whatever their current state uh, when he finds uh, them and they find him and believe in him. The application of the text is the sixth point here, that all before him are to live by God's word through his spirit and through his fruit bearing that he provides in the power of his spirit through his word, irrespective of the current state people find themselves in again when they when they come to him. The last letter of Paul sent earlier to the church prompted a number of questions that he was asked to provide answers on. Paul references those questions or identification of issues of concern with words like, now concerning. The first of these sets the context for chapter 7 in front of us today and continues into next Sunday's talk with uh, our brother Steve. There is some interleaving of the questions, the answers, and the principles behind uh, Paul's uh, statements that need some sorting as we work through his assistance to the church that's before us in our text. The general question that I propose covers the whole chapter. I have summarized with this. What about marriage? There are specific aspects to that in the various verses that, that are before us. Uh, I will be covering Paul's response to that question uh, through to verse 24, and Steve will cover the remainder uh, of that chapter. Uh, beside each uh, section of the of the verses that were bef- that are before us, uh, Paul begins with talking about his first question, which we'll introduce in a moment or two, and he there is giving the related marriage principles behind all that he is saying in the chapter. And then the concern next concerning is the unmarried and the widows. Uh, the one after that, with another question, is the married. Uh, specifically to them who are Christians together in their marriage. 
And uh, the next one is about the rest or a mixed marriage uh, between a believer and a non-believer is my interpretation of this text. And then finally, the virgins and other areas of uh, questions and principles that Paul covers in verses 25 through 40. Just a reminder of the context of these questions is that all of these people have not known the gospel for very long. Uh, Very recently, they received it and they received Christ into their lives. But one of these, the emerging question is, now that we are we are Christians, what does God want in our marriage now? We're hearing a great deal from our culture about what priorities we should have and what, how we should live, and that's how we were living before Christ found us. So what does a Christian marriage uh, look like? Specifically now for the matters you you wrote about, says Paul, is it good for a man not to marry? So that's his first specific question under this general uh, theme of marriage. Is it good for a man not to marry? We need to recall what we've previously learned in this series to date. A form of Gnosticism promoting asceticism that included the teaching that celibacy is a higher moral state than marriage was what they were brought up on. Also, the city was a trade city. It was licentious in reputation with prevalent prostitution available, as we saw in last week's study. In the letter, prostitution had been a specific practice of some who had been converted to Christ, as as were other sexual immoralities and practices uh, by them as well. And there is evidence that he's speaking about many of these things because they are still tempted and still thinking they can be involved in these kind of sexual immoralities and it needs to be corrected in their lives to be faithful to Christ. The new converts to the Christian faith came with a lot of baggage from their previous life without God. And that context needs to be understood as we seek to understand Paul's teaching of what it means to turn to and live for Jesus. Is it good not to marry? Paul states starts with a surprising answer to that specific question when he says, it is good not to marry. And that's one the first thing we need to understand. Before we dive into the verses, what this is not saying at all is that Paul is agreeing with the ascetics and the Gnostics. Uh, he is in no way subordinating marriage of his general teaching uh, from other areas and now subordinating, subordinating uh, God's people to something different than is taught in other scriptures. What this is, is... Uh, affirming the Lord's design of marriage. And the specifics here are that it is better to marry. Uh, it is in the context of uh, some of the things he says are in the context of present distress in their world. And in one sense, it's good not to marry with everything that's going on in our city. He, they also talk, Paul also talks about Jesus' imminent return. His, his, his expect, the expectation of his return was right around the corner and uh, they were he was concerned about completing the work of Christ before he came came again in the lives of uh, to the lives of his people and unfortunately for Peggy and me there's another principle uh, said that you have not sinned if you do marry and that's uh, that's good for us before uh we discuss the answer to the inferred question Is it good for a man not to marry? And the answer, uh, we need to understand what what 
Paul is saying here. First, Paul talks about uh, uh, the in, in the verse one, it is good for a man, Anthropos, not to touch a woman. Now, most translators uh, give this uh, subject the uh, a more general uh, interpretation. It is good for a man not to marry a woman. And that's that's a figure of speech that is being used by Paul to zero in on the physical and uh, uh, antidotes to sexual immorality that was going on in the city. This is a figure of speech where the uh, the part is described, but he's really talking about the whole. The part is not touching as in uh, sexual relationships, but he's talking in general about the whole of marriage, but he's focusing uh, with that figure of speech on uh, the uh, whole of marriage and, and with these specific contexts of the dangers in their society of what he was working with. The somewhat surprising answer then in the affirmative needs to be seen in the context uh, of what Paul is saying. But before he begins, even with that, he enlarges on, and before he enlarges on his answer, he moves to the overarching principles of marriage uh, where he is teaching right off the bat that even though he's saying that, it also, it is also good and natural uh, to marry. It is natural to marry for a number of, uh, from a number of perspectives. In the city, sexual immoral, immorality abounds. That's, that's not a reason to get married. We'll touch that in a moment. But he is saying that it's natural to marry and marriage provides uh, protection uh, from immorality around you by your being faithful to your own, your own spouse. Your Christian marriage is a safeguard, uh, for temptations that might take you outside your marriage in the, in their, in their situation, their marriage in their situation. He, he elaborates on this by saying, let each have his own wife, let each man have his own wife and let every wife have her own husband. So this commitment to them is what is natural in marriage for a Christian designed marriage. And Paul is reminding them before he talks about uh, why he would say it's a good thing not to marry, to say why it's natural to marry and it is natural to marry in their particular situation with the kind of temptations and life situations that are around them. He continues with the same theme that each should fulfill their marital duties one to another because each belongs to the other shows the mutuality and the commitment and the, the kind of intimate relationship, including their sexual union that uh, God designed for marriage to keep them together, close together, intimate and, and belonging uh, to one another. And then he moves a little bit to the, uh, what he means by it's good perhaps to separate uh, 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 even in a marriage for a short period of time for spiritual purpose, in this case, uh, prayer. But, he warns them not to uh, keep away from one another very long, but after their spiritual purposes are completed to come back together so that they are not tempted uh, to look in other directions uh, down the street, as it were. The principle behind this is also extremely important to recognize what Paul is saying as a, as a fundamental uh, thing about these various perspectives he is talking to them about, where he clarifies that anything that he is saying, even though it may be uh, a concession of his or a preference of his in the current situation, he's wanting them to make sure that whether they marry and have the gift 
of God and his calling for celibacy, and whether they marry, they also need to have the gift of serving together as a, as a part of their mindset and, and outlook on, on, a, on their marriage as Christian people together. So that's extremely important to understand those, that those are the principles there that either remaining single or being married are each one in themselves gifts and callings from God. Without that, either one uh, would be a mistake in Paul's uh, attitude and teaching on the specifics for this, for this church. So the second question is what about the unmarried and widows? It's kind of back to including the same group of the unmarried and also including them, uh, widows where their mate would have, would have passed on. Is it better not to marry? It is, uh, good for some that have the gift to not, not to marry. It is natural to marry, but either case is to be looked at as a gift from God where they are there, where each is there to serve God. Uh, and if single, uh, have the gift of celibacy first, and if they're married, to have the gift of serving uh, together. Paul states his preference again, but this is again in the context of gifts and calling. Uh, if one does not have self-control for the gift of celibacy, it's better to marry, and I guess you could say vice versa was also what was in his mind, given his understanding of the gifts from God in either of these cases. The next category of people that uh, Paul comes to speak about is the, are the married. And the context is, in these verses, is the Christian marriage, the way I understand them. Paul talks about, not I, but the Lord. Here he's not talking about, uh, in some cases, he's giving his own opinion, that he's speaking in an uninspired way by the Spirit. But he is speaking uh, about something else. He's saying, here I am quoting the Lord directly. I think that's the intent of what he means. He's quoting from Matthew 19 and 6, I believe, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man uh, not separate. And then the Pharisees continued with their testing of him to see what he was uh, going to say about matters of separation and divorce. But, but Paul starts directly with the Lord's own words, and he says, do not separate a command from Christ. And he also says, if you do reconcile or stay single, uh, do not uh, divorce. So that is the intent of, of uh, the Lord's teaching and his design on Christian marriage. These people had just come into Christian marriages and they were wondering about all of these different cultural aspects that were being promoted in their community. And, and he reminds them that if you are married, do not separate. God witnessed your vows to one another. Do not, do not separate. And if you do as Christians, uh, be reconciled uh, or stay single if you have separated. Uh, do not divorce. Now again, you have to go back and think, think further if there's a particular situation. We're not trying to cover all of these options, but you need to remember the rest of what he told the Pharisees in the, in the sense of how those verses are to be interpreted about, uh, being divorced in a way that God recognizes that divorce as being as something if that is necessary in the case of the hardness of people's hearts through adultery, through, uh, through sexual uh, immorality and so on. 
that is in view by him, I believe, is in view of by the Lord as he uh, speaks of these things. The next group is a is the question about what what about the rest? And I think here Paul is addressing a mixed marriage. Before the gospel, they they were all non Christians, and now perhaps one of them has become a Christian, the other has not, and they're asking. Uh, the leadership of the Corinth church is asking Paul, well, what about mixed marriages between a believer and a non-believer? What should we do? Shall we separate and so on? And then Paul answers this by saying, I say this, not the Lord. And again, he's not saying that he's speaking outside of inspiration. What he's saying is that I don't have a direct quote from Jesus while here, but I'm speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit. And he says to them, do not separate, but be willing to remain. And why does he say that? By willing to remain. He's encouraging them to stay in the very state in which they were called and work with that state so that there, theirs could be a sanctified relationship where God can, can continue to work one between one and the other to live a Christian, learn to learn Christian lives together, what it looks like uh, with salvation, obviously, as the goal for the unbeliever. And also he adds for the holiness of the children. And I don't think we need to give any exposition of what that was about. If they separate, the difficulty on children is is obvious. And he's urging them to stay together on behalf of winning the children for Christ and to learn what it is like to live for him. Paul continues his answer and with the more difficult situations. But if the unbeliever leaves and separates, let them leave. I think those that needs to be interpreted fairly uh, rigorously so that uh, it's not just if somebody walks out of the door in a fight, the other one has an excuse under the scriptures to to head out and abandon the situation. I think what's being said is once the unbeliever leaves in such a way that the marriage is over, there is no reconciliation. Uh, letting them leave is something that sometimes uh, is was to be considered. Uh, and at some point, and this is God to judge with the people in front of them, uh, he, he, he does say, uh, Paul says, the believer is not bound. And that word is enslaved. And I take this to be an additional condition that Paul is saying is sometimes necessary. That if one unbeliever leaves the relationship, uh, then uh, remarriage is allowed. Uh, there's no adultery involved in a divorce uh, can be granted and remarriage is possible. I know those are often debated uh, situations and there are many more uh, specific uh, situations of trouble people have faced in marriages and we have seen all kinds of them in our in our lives together, uh, in our marriage, watching others and being with them and trying to help others. But uh, we don't have time to go into all of the aspects of this, but we have often seen that when an unbeliever leaves, it's over, and and uh, uh, the believer is not bound or enslaved to a past that is irretrievable. And Paul grants condition this condition to, that remarriage can be allowed in those kinds of situations. And again, that's my interpretation. I know there are lots of different ones, but the overriding principle is that the importance is not so much to be Pharisaical about the interpretation of individual rules, but to guide others into the grace and love of Christ to continue 
to have them live for him, irrespective of the state in which they find themselves or they've been called. It's the most important thing is that they're helped to know him more deeply and to serve him more ably. So with all that said, I'll turn the rest of it over to Steve for next week. But let's uh, close with some uh, questions to ourselves. Who am I? What category of those do I fall into spiritually? Am I a believer in Christ? Have I accepted the gospel as those people had? Have I started the road to Christian living? And if I am a Christian, am I committed to holiness? Uh, Wade covered that so well last week. Challenged us all to examine our holy living to make sure that we are holy living for him each and every day. Where am I in him? Am I living in his gifts? Do I view my marriage? Do I view my life as a calling uh, to himself and to serve him and to worship and live for him each and every day? And then what is my relationship with others? Is it always characterized by Christian love? Am I always living for towards a sense of his purpose in this particular relationship? Has this person been brought to our attention, to my attention, uh, to, such that we need to find a way to uh, serve them in a way that they come to know and grow in our Lord Jesus Christ? I'd like to close with a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1. It's at the introduction of the chapter. And I'd just like to reread it, but this time I'm going to reword it. This time not from Paul's statement of what he wanted to introduce this book by, but hear it as God's word speaking to us. Think of it as the Lord speaking to us this morning to apply these learnings to us and let us hear what he has to say and heed him. And I'll use that as our closing prayer. To my local church in South Porcupine, you have been sanctified in me. I have called you into fellowship with me. I called you to be holy in your mind and heart, whoever you are and wherever you are. I brought you peace and grace. I have enriched you in every way, and I ask you to reflect it in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. In me, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for me to come again. I am always faithful. I will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of my return. May the Lord bless us as we consider his word, as we heed it in our lives each and every day. May God bless us together. Blessings to you all. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time. <music>